Once again, dear listeners, thank you for listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the next one hour, and this is Datum Line. Today's date, July 7, 2013. In our last Datum Line broadcast entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 14, we allotted a few more minutes to Bill Still's book, No More National Debt, published in 2011 in an effort to correct some more myths to which Bill and other economic reformers have fallen victim for want of an accurate vocabulary. To prove a lack of partiality, we then turn briefly to another book, The Web of Debt by Ellen Brown, revised in 2008, in which she adopted a populist definition for United States notes that defies law, fact, and truth, but which responds to pure emotion. If you feel good about receiving notes for goods and services that you surrendered in return for those pieces of paper, then it must have really been money that you received by which you were lawfully paid. This, however, is a very popular delusion. It was also Ellen Brown who said that the greenback system undergirded Lincoln's program of domestic development when, in fact, those notes were issued in response to the perils of civil war. Perhaps I'm a little slow in not recognizing the War for Secession as a program of domestic development instead of being a systematic terror and method of destruction. Nevertheless, the confusion of Bill Still was a natural lead-in to the error of Ellen Brown, whose aforementioned greenbacks then set the stage for introducing the legal tender debates of 1862. See, there was a method to my madness. These debates gave birth to United States notes, which, as unconstitutional bills of credit, have won the undying admiration of populists like Mr. Thorne and Warner, Dr. Charles Norburn, Bill Still, Ellen Brown, and the folks at American Free Press, along with so many others. It was Edwin Vieira who provided the background leading up to those debates in his book, Pieces of Eight, published in two volumes back in 2002. And in today's message, we'll pick up where we left off with Mr. Vieira. His extracts, taken from speeches made in the House and Senate, reveal a hidden agenda behind those Lincoln greenbacks that many of us would never have suspected. Despite the many assurances of populists today that President Lincoln was bypassing the high-interest loans of European and American bankers by issuing his interest-free greenbacks, and that those financiers were hostile to his maneuvers. Evidence surfaced during the debates and in some legal cases thereafter to suggest that his notes were especially prized by the bankers he tried to circumvent. Considering how adept the enemies of Christ are at making fools out of us, you're probably not surprised. But on the other side of our first break, we'll learn how the bankers profited from Lincoln Greenbacks. After we examine several issues taken up during the debates, we'll use our remaining time to review a few of the economic myths which have been addressed directly or indirectly in this series or in one of our earlier messages. There are more myths yet to be unraveled, so if we haven't addressed one or more to which you still subscribe, please be patient. We'll get there. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 15. 
I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host, and you are listening to Datum Line. Please join us on the other side of this break. Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 15. As mentioned on the other side of our first break, the legal tender debates of 1862 were accompanied by a very special twist. What Ed Vieira discovered is that President Lincoln's attempt at an end run around the bankers with his United States notes did not work such a terrible hardship on those loan sharks after all. Their vocal opposition, made public, was just that, vocal. It was a smokescreen. Oh, but the elite among bankers aren't that clever, are they? Ed Vieira cites Senator John Sherman of Cleveland on page 565 in his volume one of Pieces of Eight. And it was John Sherman who praised the bankers for their patriotism. Kind of makes you feel misty, doesn't it? Reminding his colleagues that the banks, quote, have already tied up their whole capital. How did they do that? Well, they tied it up in government bonds, and government bonds are kind of profitable. He said, the men who have thus loaned you money are the very men who now beg you for this measure of financial aid. They ask for this currency. What currency? Oh, the Lincoln Greenbacks with the legal tender sanction. They ask for this currency to enable them to assist you further in carrying on the government. Roll the drums. I'm feeling patriotic already. They cannot further aid the government unless your proposed currency is stamped by and invested with the legal form and authority of lawful money, which they could pay to others as well as receive themselves, end quote. Well, there was a little bit more to that than just simply paying to others and receiving themselves, as we'll find out in a moment. But this was taken from Ed Vieira's book at, uh, let's see, he's quoting the Congressional Globe now at page 789. So we see one very special interest group behind Lincoln Greenbacks was none other than the bankers Lincoln tried to circumvent. Heads they win, tails we lose. And as a sidebar regarding Senator John Sherman, his brother, was a Union general by the name of William Tecumseh Sherman, who, with 60,000 men, devastated the South in his horrific march to the sea. And would you believe, from 1853 to 1857, prior to the war, this famous, or maybe infamous, general was a banker in San Francisco and New York. Now back to Ed Vieira, who says on page 565, quote, Bankers welcomed legal tender United States notes because
because they could use those notes to redeem their own paper currency. Oh, gosh, you used to think that paper currency was redeemable in gold or silver. Oh, no, no, no. With Lincoln Greenbacks, you could now redeem state-chartered banknotes with United States notes. Oh, my last check bounced? Let me write you another one. Well, let's go on with this and see how this works. They could redeem, they could use those notes, rather, to redeem their own paper currency, thus avoiding penalties under state laws for their own suspension of specie payments. You see, back in 1861, the state-chartered banks had suspended specie payment. What's specie? That's gold and silver. Specie is a word that you don't hear too often. A lot of our people are unfamiliar with that word. He goes on, quote, In addition, we're now on page 566, under most state banking laws, bankers could use legal tender United States notes as reserves in place of specie to issue their own notes and demand deposits. End quote. This be verified in several legal disputes that were cited in footnote number 2224, this is out of a total of 6,598 footnotes in Ed Vieira's footnote overkill. Uh, he cites cases uh, Reynolds versus Bank of State of Indiana, Metropolitan Bank versus Van Dyke, that's D-Y-C-K, and Carpenter versus Northfield Bank. Mr. Vieira explains the special profitability of legal tender United States notes when in the hands of a banker. He says, quote, in addition... Under most state banking laws, uh, state banking buffs, are you listening carefully? Okay. Under most state banking laws, bankers could use legal tender United States notes as reserves in place of specie to issue their own notes and demand deposits. Just as Senator Doolittle had predicted, the banks stuffed their vaults with legal tender currency. Quote, now we're going to quote Mr. Doolittle. Quote, like so much coin, as a basis for expanding their own currency, thus trebling, that's tripling, our paper circulation. End quote. <clears throat> now, this is quoted from the Congressional Globe at page 659. Keeping in mind that gold and silver reserves now included United States notes, that had no gold or silver backing. You remember those were issued without gold and silver in the vault, and it was anticipated that after the war ended, Congress would be able to start filling the vault back up with silver and gold and would start redeeming the notes. Uh, they would resume uh, redemption in specie after the war ended, whenever that was going to be. Now, since there was no gold or silver backing at the time that the Lincoln Greenbacks were being issued, and yet there was a 25% reserve requirement that was typical for all state-chartered banks. What does this mean? Well, a state-chartered bank could issue three times the number of bogus notes compared to the coin, gold and silver, and now United States notes on deposit. Bad enough that they could leverage credit instruments against lawful money, gold and silver. But now they could issue three times as many unbacked bank notes against unbacked United States notes that populists today call honest money. Now, this was a new wrinkle in the evolution of banking that would lead to the credit system we complain about today and a credit fuel tyranny that looms large on the horizon. Referring to the book, The Financial
Financial History of the United States, written by Bowles, that's B-O-L-L-E-S. This is from the second edition, 1984, page 79 and page 80. Mr. Vieira says that, quote, Congressmen complained that the banks were taking up United States notes from the public, using those notes to buy interest-bearing United States bonds and putting into circulation an equivalent value of their own paper currency to lend out at interest, thus, in effect, manipulating myopic office holders in Congress into subsidizing the emission of profit-making banknotes. End quote. <clears throat> Not only did this war claim more American lives than all other wars combined from the American Revolution to present day, but this was the war that established federal preeminence over its own creators, the states, and the people thereof. It was also the war that set America adrift from her constitutional moorings when legal tender was forced upon a people who, from that day on, would never see the end of their enslavement to an escalating public debt. While the first no-promise Federal Reserve and United States notes were both quietly slipped into circulation only days after a very useful distraction afforded by the televised assassination of President Kennedy on November 22, 1963. This was also the war that eventually redefined a legal tender note in the minds of almost every American who, like attorney Alan Brown, came to regard federally issued IOUs as the actual money they once promised to pay later. Rather than explain to their audiences how such an absurdity could become a fact, defenders of legalized federal theft solemnly assure their followers that a promise to pay money somehow became the money it promised to pay by simply removing the promise to pay it. Since debt is a sum of money due, or the undelivered portion of economic exchange, and Congress, which is in bed with the Fed, no longer admits they owe anything to anybody, populists can now get away with calling dishonored notes debt-free money. The writer of rubber checks is also the author of debt-free money. But he goes to prison when he gets caught trying to exchange raw numbers, called dollars, for real goods and services. Now, if it's a criminal act for us to do what government does, then odds are we have a criminal government. Now, you'd think that an attorney would be able to figure that one out. But law school is not the place to go if you're looking for the truth. You go to Scripture where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14.6. You see, he's the author of our common law, which King David acknowledged in the Psalms when he said at Psalm 119.142, Thy righteousness, that's God's righteousness, is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Well, why would law be truth? Well, because there's a natural consequence for violating it. He goes on to say in Psalm 119, verse 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. But lawyers and judges have a new and better way of looking at things. They instruct the witness to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. In a judicial lion's den, where truth is pursued only when not in conflict with the hidden agenda. You remember 
that in questioning techniques and tactics by Jeffrey L. Kessler, a member of the New York and D.C. Bar, adjunct professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center, he said on page four of his book, which he wrote in 1982, quote, to the uninitiated, it may come as a great shock that our system of justice does not really involve a search for truth. Well, the truth is we got a break. So we'll get back to this on the other side of this break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Bathom Line. of datum line our message today economic myths and the science of deceit part 15 i was on the other side of uh, this last break quoting from questioning techniques and tactics by jeffrey l kessler professor of law at uh, georgetown university law center where he said that to the uninitiated and you've heard this before if you're a regular listener it may come as a great shock that our system of justice does not really involve the search for the truth Professor Younger, second witness now, disabuses his student of this notion in his very first minute of his course on evidence. At a recent seminar on trial advocacy, a distinguished federal judge put it thus. Now we've got a third witness to this. Quote, law is not a search for the truth. The whole objective is to achieve the highest quality of justice in the least amount of time at the lowest possible cost. End quote. How would you like it? Take a trip to the moon on those uh, standards. Anyway, uh, let's get back to Ed Vieira, whose research of the Congressional Globe introduced us to Senator Cowan, C-O-W-A-N, sorry, who, in opposition to legal tender notes, injected into the debates a measure of common sense that would be totally lost on today's card-swiping consumer at the checkout stand. He said, quote, if one of them, one of them what? A United States note. If one of them asserts on its face that it is $5, and that were really true, you see, Senator Cowan obviously didn't believe it was true, as did most of those people back in those days. And if that were really true, I should like to know how much truer it is after you have said to everybody, by way of a legal tender edict, you shall believe it whether you will or not. The fair inference is in the mind of every man, however stupid, as the word stupid was probably defined back then, not now, that you yourselves first doubted the validity of it, and that therefore you attempted to give this quality of paying debts per force, that means out of necessity, that's not a word we use very much these days, to compensate it for the lack of essential value. End quote. This from Pieces of Eight, Volume 1, page 570 quoting the Congressional Globe at page 792. In other words, what they lacked in monetary substance, Congress would make up for with official-sounding wind, a threat of legal sanction if free Americans should refuse to accept Lincoln Greenbacks that Ellen Brown and others promote so cheerfully. But that was the spirit of lawmaking godmen in Washington who wanted a war that was unpopular with the people who would be its immediate victims. But populists say you can trust the folks in Congress who protected your freedom with the war in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, 
Pakistan, wherever we are these days. For some reason, according to populist perceptions, it's only private bankers who can commit sin. And the solution, according to the populace, is to transform public-spirited lawmaking godmen in Congress into banker godmen at the same time. This is a sure recipe for tyranny in my book. Now, as an alternative to issuing legal tender United States notes, Representative Lovejoy, we're now at page 568 of Mr. Vieira's Volume 1, he proposed a three-step program to meet the wartime emergency. First, he would provide for adequate taxation. This is very important, because taxes could have been raised to pay for the war up front. But you remember, the war wasn't popular, and neither are taxes. And so Congress looked for a way to get around the unpopularity of a war they wanted. Okay. The second suggestion of Mr. Lovejoy was that we adopt legislation, quote, that shall compel all banking institutions to do business on a specie basis. Oh, boy, there's a way to put banks out of business. He said, every piece of paper that claimed to be money, well, that's not quite true. The, the paper never claimed to be money. It only claimed to be a promise to pay money. But was not. I would chase back to the man or the corporation that forged it and visit upon him or them the criminal penalties of the law. I would not allow a banknote to circulate that was not constantly, conveniently, and certainly convertible into specie. End quote. Well, now, since about 75% of all state-chartered banknotes would have failed this Lovejoy test, a test that the general public would never have thought necessary since every note said on its face that it was redeemable, his proposal would have exposed the level of bank fraud being perpetrated against the public, with the result being a foreclosure of the offending banks. Gee, just imagine a world without financial crime. Imagine a world without banks. Now, his third step was to issue interest-paying bonds of the United States, he says, and go into the market and borrow money and pay the obligations of the government. Okay, now that was another way that they could go about doing it. Okay. Now, arguments for legal tender paper were hollow but predictable. Representative Kellogg, I'm on page 570 of the Ayers book, claimed that the greenbacks, he said they would not depreciate. Let's see, now depreciation of greenbacks was anticipated. Why? Well, because of a lack of public faith when you have to force people to take a note. That's to indicate that there's nothing behind a note except force. And that tends to challenge people's faith in the note. And then there's the anticipated inflation that's caused by the temptation of printing more and more notes. Uh, but he says that that won't happen. He says because, quote, by making this paper a legal tender, we form a basis of confidence that cannot be shaken, end quote. As if his words made it so, and as if history failed to prove the contrary. This is our mid-time break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to The Adam Line. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Welcome back to this half of uh, Datum Line. 
today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 15. As I mentioned on the other side of the break, there were certainly members of Congress who were favorable to Lincoln Greenbacks, the legal tender United States notes. And uh, <clears throat> there were those people like Representative Pike, for example, who argued that it was only the unlimited printing of irredeemable paper that caused depreciation, as if Congress could be trusted as some sort of a historical example to avoid such a temptation. After all, since 1963, every note, whether it be a United States note, and there were a few of those after 1963, or Federal Reserve notes, were all irredeemable. And they are certainly cranking those things out in unlimited fashion. That is the nature of man to begin by incremental steps. It's called the leaven of the Pharisees in the Bible. It's what we today call the slippery slope. Anyway, Congress fell for it, of course. And uh, in the spirit of naivete, it was Senator Sherman, remember from Cleveland, brother of William Tecumseh Sherman, the general, who agreed that, quote, we dare not repeat this experiment a second time. In other words, he was saying, we're only going to do it once. You've heard that little story, haven't you? I'm only going to... Well, never mind how that story goes. Uh, but this warning went unheeded because United States notes were issued again and again. And the volume of them continued to increase. Representative Alley assured his colleagues that, quote, there can be no more issues, in other words, emissions of these United States notes, than the real necessities of the government require, end quote as if Congress could be trusted and would actually know the meaning of real necessities. Others, like Representative Schellerbarger, dismissed our rising national debt as being no burden after all because, he said, we owe it to ourselves. Now keep in mind that it was a previous administration, that of General Andrew Jackson, that had reduced the national debt of the United States to zero. That was not bad. He did that in 1835. That's the only time in American history that the national debt was reduced to zero. But we had a rising national debt under Lincoln. And uh, we don't have to worry about that because we owe it to ourselves. <clears throat> you know, that's a foolish argument. And it was thrown out to uh, my high school student uh, peers by a teacher who was hard-pressed to explain how David, whoever David might be, could be sued as a debtor in default on a loan made by the same David as lender. Okay? You don't owe it to yourself. There are people in society who owe it to other people in society. Now, the ease with which some officials could ignore their oath of office was demonstrated by Representatives Pike and Alley, who said, quote, This is no time for the exercise of thin constitutional pedantry. Now, pedantry is a word that we probably don't use too much. What does that word mean? It's, it's an unnecessary adherence to arbitrary rules. He said, this is, this is no time to, to exercise this thin constitutional pedantry. That this question of constitutionality is hardly worthy of consideration in the face of overshadowing necessities of the government. End quote. So you see, the Constitution is only applicable in times of peace and plenty, not when the going gets rough. Now, on a personal note, many a spouse has learned that a vow which included the words for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, 
in sickness and in health was never meant by the other party to include periods of ill health, poverty, or general hardship. When the things just get a little bit tough, there's somebody there who says, oh, I'm out of here. Senator Sumner, we're up to page 574 of Edwin Vieira's book, was a man who could interpret the Constitution like a true populist, finding the congressional power to emit bills of credit predicated on the Constitution's failure to include any prohibition against it except with regards to the states. Nevertheless, it was already a settled point of constitutional law, back then anyway, that, quote, this government is one of enumerated powers. Who said? Supreme Court, McCullough versus Maryland, 1819. There can be no inherent governmental authority of any kind. Powers not granted are prohibited. Who says? United States Supreme Court, United States versus Butler, 1936. You see, no prohibition against bills of credit was necessary, as regular datum line listeners already understand. If the purpose of the legal tender bill were to create money, argues Senator Bayard, we're now at page 588 of Edwin Vieira's book, then it was clearly unconstitutional because the Constitution contains, he says, quote, but a solitary provision which has any relation to the power to make money, the power to make money is to coin money. Under no species of interpretation could you hold that a power to coin money implied or could be extended to a power to make <clears throat> the government's own paper or promises to pay money. Money. The United States Supreme Court, in all of its legal tender cases, managed to agree with Senator Baird. But Harvard professor Nadelson and Bill Still now hold out for the coining of paper as a power originally intended by our founding fathers, despite the fact that those words and emit bills were stricken from the constitutional draft at the Constitutional Convention of 1787 by a vote of 9 to 2. Now, with regard to the bills of credit issued by Congress, Representative Crisfield, in those debates in 1862, explained its disability thus. And now this is taken from page 589 of Mr. Vieira's book. Quote, Congress is not sovereign. See, that was understood back then. It has no inherent power. See, that was understood too back then. Its authority is entirely derivative, which means it has to be derived from someone or someplace. Okay, who was that? That was we the people through the Constitution. He goes on. What was not granted is not possessed. Oh, would to God we had people in Congress today who understood this. When a power is claimed, he said, the grant must be affirmatively shown. And such are the words of the Tenth Amendment. My golly, he knew there was a Tenth Amendment. Today, you don't find anybody in Congress who knows that there is such a thing, or what it says, or who even care what it says. He goes on, this is a general inhibition of all power to Congress not granted. When, therefore, I am told a power is not inhibited, that's the bill still approach. You say, well, government doesn't, it doesn't say that you can't do that. He says, when therefore I am told a power is not inhibited, it is conclusive answer to say it is not granted. And it is happy for the country it is so. For otherwise, the discretion of Congress would be the sole limit of its power. And the most calamitous consequences might well be apprehended. End quote. Okay, Representative Crisfield. 1862. Well, unfortunately, we now live in such a time. 
armed aerial drones roam the skies throughout the world in search of people to be destroyed. By whom? By President Obama. Foreign aid flows to America's enemies, and your wealth is taken without due process of law by instruments of theft denominated in dollars and called checks, Federal Reserve notes, debit, or credit cards. All without constitutional authority. <clears throat> As a prophetic admonition of what was to come, Edwin Vieira's book now, page 572 and 573, Representative Thomas, of the state of Massachusetts, had evidently learned from history what populists of today and most congressmen of his day choose or chose to ignore. He said, quote, gentlemen who appreciate the perils of this step, what step? The step of making legal tender notes. This would be a, there would be perils that would accompany this. He said, gentlemen who appreciate the perils of this step would relieve themselves and us by the assurance that the amount of paper to be issued is restricted within safe bounds. These barriers are easily surmounted. It is the first step which costs. The descent has always been easy. The difficulty is return. The experience of mankind, that's history, the experience of mankind shows the danger in entering upon this path, that boundaries are fixed only to be overrun, promises made only to be broken, end quote. Mr. Thomas had the history of colonial American bills of credit and the French assignats to prove his point. But our social engineers, wise in their own conceits today, learn only what they want from history. Said Representative Thomas, quote, Human nature remains essentially the same. We are neither wiser nor better than our fathers. End quote. From the Congressional Globe at page 682. Representative Horton stated that this was a dangerous departure from traditional principles, predicting that the legal tender bill, if passed, and it was, would be, quote, a point from which we shall date a new financial system in the United States, end quote. It couldn't have gotten any more prophetic than that. America's system changed with the legal tender debates, just as he predicted. This taken from the Congressional Globe at page 663. Representative Roscoe Conkling of the state of New York prophesied that we, quote, are plunging into an abyss from which there are to be no resuscitation and resurrection, end quote. Also from the Congressional Globe at page 691. Representative Volandigan, as if he had just appeared out of the 21st century, asked, quote, what is the object of all this? if it be not to create an enormous and endless public debt, to be interwoven with every political, social, and political business relation of life, to subjugate the states and the people perpetually to the federal government, and therefore never to be extinguished. Imagine that, being subjected to the federal government and a federal debt that would never be extinguished. Ah, that never happened, would it? Well, Representative Volandigan was right on target. What a marvel, these men, who could see beyond the next century, while we today try to find people who can see what is right in front of them. Populists and other Marxists, on the other hand, refuse to accept those hard lessons from the past, which don't support their fanciful dreams. Representative Thomas, Horton, and Conklin 
and a few others, were willing to factor in our sin nature and the lessons of history, which elevated these men to the status of prophets in a world where, said Voltaire, common sense is not very common. You see, we can measure the level of character manifest by Congress when they choose to accept or reject the limitations imposed upon them by the Constitution, to which they knowingly and voluntarily took an oath before God. Like an unfaithful partner desperate for liberation from a vow of marriage, Congress rallied enough votes to betray the constitutional principles that shielded us from the federal tyranny they imposed by giving to themselves a power for which, if exercised by any of us, would have us all cast into prison. Necessity, says the adage, is the mother of invention, with acts of war and terror serving to invent all manner of tyrannical legislation necessary, we're told, to meet the crisis, which crisis also may have been invented by evildoers bent on personal profit and general destruction. More could be said about this, but I'll let Mr. Vieira give the summation for our first review of the 19th century legal tender debates, three more examinations of which will follow in this series. He says, page 591, quote, Overall, the proponents, the advocates, you see, the proponents of legal tender paper currency could muster no sound constitutional argument or precedent in favor of the greenbacks, having instead to proffer the anti-constitutional theory that Congress is a sovereign body, which it was not, with inherent powers, which it does not have, far beyond those the Constitution enumerates in Article One, Section 8, and subject to no limitation or restraint save the discretion of its members themselves. End quote. We see, that's the position of the populace today. Now, you may recall hearing a public official, I can think of one, I think it was Congressman Dannemeyer, who a few years ago tenderly praised the noble character of Vice President Dick Cheney, saying something to the effect that he was confident that Vice President Dick Cheney would never abuse the power of his office. I know him. He just wouldn't do it. In other words, you can trust officials to restrain themselves by the awesome power of personal discretion. Yet it was Thomas Jefferson who said, Let us hear no more about confidence in men, but bind them down by the chains of the Constitution. Well, with that said, let's move on to other nonsense, other myths. You see, in this series, we'll unravel more of the generally accepted economic myths, which are often espoused by both sides of the anti-Federal Reserve debate. These misconceptions tarnish the reputation of gold and silver, while justifying the perpetration and perpetuation of an unlawful credit system, resurrected under a new name and run by a few new faces. The proclaimed enemies of bank-orchestrated oppression parrot these myths as if by doing so they make themselves the friends of constitutional liberty and free enterprise. This, too, is a myth. So in a few minutes remaining, Let's review some of the myths that have been covered thus far in our data online broadcast. First myth that I'll pick, America, indeed the world, is in a monetary crisis. Is that true or false? False. And mere repetition does not convert this notion into a sacred truth. 
Americans use no tangible substance as money, which exists in direct proportion to its decimal quantity stamped on pieces of metal, paper, or anything else. As the Federal Reserve told us long ago, quote, the Federal Reserve System works only with credit, end quote. Keeping our money healthy, page 12, Federal Reserve Bank of New York, that was 1977. Credit is not a synonym for money, said Warren Brooks, syndicated economics columnist in a radio interview. Quote, we used to think about money as pieces of currency or pieces of gold. All of this trading on a worldwide scene is now done without money. It's all done with information, entries in the computer, end quote. Where did he say that? In a program entitled Money in Motion, put on by the Voice of America, United States Information Agency, November 2nd. 1987. If perchance you're a new listener to Datum Line and are uncertain as to whether we have a monetary system, I have a nagging reward offer. 100 pounds of free money, if you can identify the substance of that money, measured in dollars, that you use as money, or that government collects, spends, or wastes, or that banks pretend to lend. Identify the substance of that money, and I'll give you 100 pounds of it absolutely free. You can find my address from RBM. Well, there's another break. You're listening to Datum Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. Final segment of this installment of Datum Line, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 15. We only have a few minutes remaining. It's a good time to kind of wind things up, but how do you do that? Well, I was kind of getting into uh, some of the myths that we've already covered. And if you're a new listener uh, and you haven't gone back through the archives of our broadcast, then you will have missed these. And uh, I think it's very important that we review from time to time. So I'm going to review one more myth. I think we have time for it. And that myth is that people cash checks at the local bank. You've heard people say that, you know, like, I just cashed my check today, right? Well, this myth was answered by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York as well. They said, quote, banks don't keep cash in checking accounts and don't transfer currency or coin when acting on a check's instructions. Checkbook balances are transferred between accounts as bookkeeping entries only, end quote. Who said? Federal Reserve Bank of New York in a publication called I Bet You Thought. Uh, nice title in it, I Bet You Thought. Page 7. This was from 1980. Seemed to go back a long ways. And find, well, a lot of people think 1980 is a long ways back. For people my age, 1980 is not that far back. But for younger, younger people, that's a long, long time ago. Okay? Some of them weren't born then. Now, in a case called Curlin versus Young, the court said that cash is money. Now, since our only lawful money was gold and silver, both of which were demonetized 50 or more years ago, there is no cash money in a bank account with which to redeem a check. The phrase, cashing a check, is a holdover from a half century ago when Americans could cash a check. So do the math. If you were born after 1947, you never cashed a check in the United States. Now, there are people who insist, because we have a third myth, 
that we use paper money, for heaven's sake. And by this, the mass of humanity is referring to Federal Reserve notes. But they don't bother to define the word note. A note, as used in the realm of finance, is an absolute and unconditional promise by the issuer or maker of that note to pay a specified sum of money to a specified person or bearer at a specified time or on demand. A promise to pay money is not money. And until late 1963, every Federal Reserve note and silver certificate spelled out each and every one of these required elements on their face. Within days of the Kennedy assassination, however, a new series of Federal Reserve note and a new series United States note was slipped quietly into circulation, but without the promise to pay anything to anyone ever. Silver certificates were then retired from general circulation, joining the gold certificates that disappeared with the confiscation of our great-grandparents' or grandparents' gold in 1934. As to whether any country ever used paper as money, the answer is never. It's too heavy. The dollar quantity appearing on a $50 bill, for example, has no connection to a sum of paper anywhere, and certainly not to the one you see. Okay. This is just three myths, of which there are so many. There are, we could probably cover about 20 that have been directly or indirectly uh, exposed and explained in previous broadcasts. In our next broadcast, we will be addressing more of those myths, like uh, we're heading for a cashless society. Well, that's nonsense. Or gold was used to back our money until 1934. That's another piece of nonsense. Or that the United States was on the gold standard when the crash of 1929 occurred. That's other nonsense. Uh, we'll address those and so many others. I hope this has been of interest to you. It is to me. And uh, thank you very much for listening. I'm Bruce C. McCarthy. Have a good day. So long. smell some funky little things going on let me share this story with you it's not so much a story it's something i wrote years ago read your history people stock markets collapse on friday bank seizures closures holidays take place after business hours on friday do currencies or governments also collapse on friday <laughs> tomorrow's friday Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. 
My friends, I offer you over six decades' experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for a private consultation. Once again, our phone number is 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasteurized meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. 
Tahibo Tea Club's original pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, in trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee that's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off Drop and Lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off Drop and Lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. 
Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be. And it really works. Take Extendivite for six months and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajee by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shiloji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shiloji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Ciroc grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. 